We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and today I'm here with my also a host, Marsha Bivens. Hi, I'm your co-host, Marsha Bivens, director of marketing for Pioneer X. Welcome. Today we are here with Troy Trickstad. He is the executive director of CPESN USA. Hey, gang. I'm in my wife's studio. So, what, what is what does she do in her studio? She has a degree in in research, uh, culture, curriculum, and change, um, research and teaching teachers, science teachers. So okay. it's very specific. So she's big right now. One of the cool things she's working on is, um, how do you teach pandemic? What's the science curriculum look like? Uh, you know, how do you teach, you know, coming out of COVID, there was a lot of science-based foundations and entities that really got concerned about making sure that science is taught in science class, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was like, how do we do this? What does the curriculum look like? What are teachers saying? And so she spent a lot of time on that and, 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 um, just trying to figure out, you know, um, how to navigate teaching science, infectious disease, um, methods to say to to you know methods of conveying information that don't trigger and all these kinds of things right yeah. so it's there's a whole pedagogy and that whole educational component to it there's a little bit of a kind of a school board component to it right. and so mm-hmm. you know, it's like are we teaching <laughs> the pandemic in science class or sociology class you know that's yeah so i, I would Probably tell you a that, little you bit know, of both yeah i'm a pretty apolitical person but i will just tell you this because as a middle child this this is you know this gets at me and and growing up and i grew up in a family of teachers and pharmacists right um is that it took her to the eight person interviewing teachers before she had a teacher that didn't cry during interviews but if you're a science teacher there's some real it's been rough in a lot of places right so she just tells these stories about how just people just break down and they're you know, horror stories about like people questioning their morality. And it's like, I'm I'm a, I'm a science teacher. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm not any different than I was last year. Right. You know, so it's, it's, you know, I think, I hope we get back to a day where we all just, you know, respect each other's opinions and, and, um, we, you know, get some perspective that, for the most part, we're pretty good as a country and rowing in the same direction, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a period there in the FRPP program where all of the network administrators were having real serious conversations about security risks at the pharmacy. Right. If you remember, there was a period there where there was some threats of violence and aggression towards just providers that were providing vaccines or right like like you know people can have a lot of very valid opinions on vaccine mandates and tax policy and everything else but you know your pharmacist or your primary care doc is just trying to take care of patients right your nurse that's leaving the ed is just trying to take care of patients you know and so yeah i think you're right jeff and it's relevant to healthcare professionals because what 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 she saw kind of with that just interviewing teachers was from the same energy sources that healthcare providers right were were navigating Mm -hmm. so there's just the whole kind of security issue but then on top of that like how do you take care of a patient and it sort of caused us to reevaluate i think in in a healthy way hey Remember, we're supposed to put ourselves in their shoes as best we can, be patient-centered, um, speak their language, um, really try to get a sense of what their goals are, just you know, core things we believe as healthcare providers now that we had to kind of revisit those, right, and, and in, a, in a way 
that I think pharmacists did a hell of a job, honestly. And the data shows that. I was looking at data this morning, putting together a presentation for AACP. And if you look at uh, uh, Colonel Grabenstein's um, Jaffa paper, it's remarkable, right? Mm -hmm. There were 150 million COVID tests, 300 million vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, The numbers are just incredible. And when you look at the socially vulnerable communities in particular, pharmacies kicked butt. They really did. So, yeah. I, I hope we look back on it and say, you know, look, there's a lot of improvements to be made, but my take on things is, look, we didn't, you know, we could have done a lot worse, mm-hmm. right? And yep. there's certainly examples in the world that killed economies and more social unrest than we had. And, and I don't know. I hope we look back and say, well, we can learn a thing or two, but, you know, we, as a general rule, we pulled together in a pretty tough situation. Yeah. And you wonder in a, in a world 30 years from now, 40 years from now, when things are more telehealth and tele this and tele that, and where, where is that staff going to be, right? Where are going to be those people to do that yeah, work? The, wor- the world is not getting bigger. It's getting smaller. For a brief period of time said, well, maybe the city's not cool. I'm going to go out to the country. <laughs> right. And, you know, and there's a trend of that. We talked about that the last time we were here. Um, but you know, just like entropy, I think there's there's a it may wax and wane, but there's a trajectory toward more travel. There's a trajectory toward more being close to each other, more interconnectedness, more trade. Um, this isn't going to be the last time that we all struggle with this. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. The, the math and the science just tell us that it's going to happen again. So what's exciting is going on at CPSN. What's exciting at CPSN, we're starting to see a market, a real market out there. Um, We've been, by the data points that we have exposure to, which might be adverse selection, but we've probably been 60 to 80% of a grape. Um, And we're slowly losing market share, much to our delight. (laughs) That sounds Mm. a little bit weird on value-based contracting. And what that means is, what was a grape is turning into an orange and hopefully a watermelon by 2024. That is to say that the global amount of opportunities for submitting blood pressures and A1Cs and special adherence programs and something mm-hmm. different than just the generic, basically Part D stuff that we've been doing for 20 years is really actually starting to scale out there. So, um, you know, uh, I, I remember telling Jim Kirby, you know, three or four years ago, I said, look, our dilemma is we've got a bunch of professional baseball players playing in the NFL, <laughs> right? Right. You know, and, and, and it used to be a game of baseball, but now it's, you know, now the linebackers coming across the middle and just smacking the baseball player and they don't belong on the field, right? It's mm-hmm. a different business model. All we're trying to do is say, let's create a summer league where there's some opportunity for baseball players to play baseball. And what we're finding is we're not the only team in the league. Well, that's better for the global TV contracts for everybody. Right. That's, that's what we've right. learned in, in conference realignment with the NCA and their negotiations with, with um, you know, uh, television companies and media outlets, which is you want a, a robust, vibrant marketplace is good for everybody. So we're seeing more competition. We're seeing more opportunities. We're seeing more scalability. We're seeing somewhat better incremental improvements in IT. I would love to see that move quicker, <laughs> frankly. What does that mean? But, uh, uh, the IT at the provider side? I mean, at the yeah. uh, payer side? Yeah, I think I think this, uh, and, and you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, and it's so, so true. The, the, the key to sustainability versus a nice project that is cute but doesn't sustain my business is economy of scale with respect to the opportunity, and workflow to minimize the administrative, the costs that are superfluous to the clinical care being provided by a clinician. And that's just killed pharmacy, right? Not enough volume, right? And that we're spending 80% of our time on stuff not related to the care delivery, mm-hmm. documenting, getting paid, finding, chasing patient lists or whatever else. And we need to get that down to 40%, 30%, 20%, 10% of the total cost of delivery. Mm-hmm. Imagine going to your salon and 
80% of the cost of getting the haircut is not the person doing the haircut, but the credit card transaction or the documenting what type of haircut you're doing. Like, it's crazy. We have to figure out how to drive down that unit cost. Right? Yeah. I am. Um, speaking of that, I, I was looking at an email the other day where um, it was a CPSN uh, person who was saying, hey, um, I wish some of the stuff we were doing were harder so it mattered. <laughs> well, uh, uh, We've certainly, I've certainly learned over 25 years of being a licensed pharmacist uh, that for the most part of all the healthcare professions, we're probably the most sadists. Yeah. So, so Pioneer right? has driven this down to just check boxes and, and yeah. a list of what we have to do. And, and that's not really clinical. I, I wish we had to be, I wish it was harder. Oh, uh, Jeff. Yes. Thank you. Uh, there should be, we should, we should do a whole click and clack podcast just on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, that drives me crazy, frankly. And these are folks that are friends of yours and I's and right. people that are and luminaries and whatever else. Now, I understand where they're coming from, which is, you know, an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. But, you know, every time I hear, well, yeah, but that's just a MedSync and that's not real care planning. MedSync is a service. It absolutely MedSync, is. MedSync takes work. Yeah. yeah. MedSync provides real value. It does raise adherence rates. It does keep people out of the hospital. Just because you might have gotten good at MedSync doesn't mean that it doesn't have, that yeah. it has less value. Is right? giving a shot clinical? Is <laughs> right, is exactly. looking in somebody's ear clinical to see what's blocked in their ear? Right, right. Do, do no, I, I need to write, uh, do I need to type that I um, uh, use such and such a device to peer into patient's ear at a 45 degree angle and then move? Right. It, no, I, right. I jake the box. Well, we, so <laughs> we are natural sadists as pharmacists, self-flatulation, or what's the term? Or you know, you know, I'm gonna, I want to keep punishing myself, right? We're we, we're prone to that, and I think part of that comes with, you know, we've had, and I, look, I come from a family of academicians as well, but we've come from a more academic energy around practice transformation rather than a business sustainability energy around practice mm -hmm. transformation. And what's really, really cool is we've started work with the schools of pharmacy and the colleges of pharmacy is I think we're starting to more appropriately blend those two things together, which is, hey, here's what care looks like. Here's, you know, here's what you really actually need to do if we're really going to be doing care management, if we're really going to be doing titrations and therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, administering a flu shot is a real service that provides incredible value, Have counseling them on that, doing med sync. Doing some of the stuff that some pharmacists or pharmacists think is basic still provides a lot of value. Look, the core of primary care is basic stuff, but they also mm -hmm. do hard stuff. But the core of primary care physicians' work is basic primary care, and basic pharmacy care is valuable. It should be documented. It should be in within workflow, and it should be paid for, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And like like Jeff said, it's it shouldn't be like, a memo every five seconds. It should just be a quick checkbox. And then the same thing to you, back to what you had said earlier, is that you got pharmacists who are complaining that they've got too much to do, that they don't know how to get into anything. And it's like, slow down. Look at, you know, just number one thing that we continue to preach also is, you know, get out from behind the counter. That's how you drum up more business you know, assign somebody else well, out that, of the counter, yeah. behind the counter, out of behind the counter and get, out, of get the out of the pharmacy. Yes. Get out of the pharmacy, you know, and get the staff. And I know we're still kind of coming out of the pandemic and the great resignation, you know, but it's the time, it's time to get people back in the pharmacy, um, assign people like, Hey, this is your, this is your group of patients. This is your task. Um, and, that's that's what helps grow pharmacy, and that continues to be a struggle. I remember sitting in a car with um, Deanne Mullins um, a couple NCPAs ago, and she was going on and on about how do we get these things to happen. And I and I said, Deanne, sadly, not everybody is a Deanne or a Joe or a Troy, and it's like how do we get that across to these pharmacists? So they jump on the bandwagon with us to do everything that you and Joe and and Troy and Amina are wanting to accomplish. And that's how, and you operationalize it. 
Mm-hmm. That's why doctors can't remember to wash their hands in the surgery room unless you operationalize and give them a checkbox. And, you know, that, that same person says, well, do you think there are people out there checking that box who aren't doing it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but you're yeah. not going to punish the 97% of the people who are for the yeah. 3% of the people who aren't. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. going yeah. gonna to accept that as fraud, waste, and abuse. It's going to happen. And, and, and you're going to operationalize the other stuff and make the effort be doing the task, not documenting the task. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities and the practices and the classes are all out there. I mean, you get up on stage and you talk and you talk best practices and jumping into things. And like we talked to uh, Jennifer Palazzolo yesterday. Did I say that right? Her last name? I have no idea. I butcher names. I'm just going to put that out there. I butcher names horribly. So I'm sorry. I think I butchered yours for the longest time. We can overlay the spelling. Yeah, we know. We'll just overlay her (laughs) spelling. But, um, you know, that's one of the things that we talked to her yesterday because she's jumping in a a group with um, Amina and several other um, masterminds. And I think that's what they're calling it is masterminds. Yeah, I don't think they're calling it that anymore. They don't have a name. Okay. Well, that, that was, that, that's the start. That was the starting of the name. But, um, you know, their thing is that some conferences you go to and you don't get enough information. They're just going, Hey, we're checking these boxes for your CE credits. They're not talking, Hey, so I use this product in my farmer's pharmacy and this is how it helps me. And I think that's what they're going to be driving their event towards, um, and their classes for sure. But my thing with all of that is you've got to first start out the co- the classes, the conversation with, if there's anything, and I'm going to be pushing this at Connect, there's going to be a page. If there's anything you take away from this event, pick your top three. Pick the top three things that you want to take away from this and you want to implement in your pharmacy and give yourself a start date. Give yourself a deadline. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I'm going to be pushing at Connect. I think it's an all hands on deck. It is. Scenario. Um... It needs to be the pioneers, the CPSNs, the NCPAs, and, and and the empirical data, the science of it. Back to that that you know concept of empirical data tells us that what we're describing shouldn't be surprising. Which is you have a natural five to fifteen percent of any bell curve that mm-hmm. that will that says I like thinking in the abstract, I like taking risk, I like doing stuff different, and they get out and they do it right. So I've I keep telling folks, look, if I had 3,500 Aminas, I'd have the easiest job in the world. Oh, absolutely. Like, right? I mean, imagine if there were actually 3,500 pharmacies out there. Mm-hmm. This would, It'd be like, you know, uh, it would be easy, right? But we don't, you know, the, the data and the science says that doesn't happen that way. So, you know, just some empirical sort of data points and findings from the pandemic so the Aminas, the Joes, the et cetera, they're doing it, that 5 to 15%. And I'd like to think we're disproportionately have participation with those folks. Um, but I think they are distributed throughout 16,000 or so independents. Mm-hmm. And, and they go do things, right, that aren't in front of them. But at the same time, we know that pharmacies can adapt, adapt quickly, and do services. Yep, we, we saw, saw it during that, COVID. We saw it during the pandemic. Right. As far as see, and and it's because the middle of the bell curve often needs something that's right in front of them, right? So we had, I think about 26% of our pharmacies had a CLIA waiver prior to COVID and almost all of them have a CLIA waiver now. Wow. Right? Or you're talking about CPSN pharmacies. CPSN. Yep. Yes. And there may, awesome. there may, there's prob- likely some selection bias, but it's not entire selection Is that bias. not today? Can I be in CPSN and not vaccinate? Uh, you have to vaccinate. I don't believe you have to have a, a CLIA waiver to be in the, the USA. Some of the local networks have requirements ad- above and beyond. Okay. Okay. But but it was right in front of them, right? Oh, COVID testing. Mm-hmm. Volume. And they figured out the workflow. So the other remarkable thing that happened during COVID was not only people getting into point-of-care testing at scale, at mass, ability to charge cash, which we had never seen mm-hmm. before, yeah. and the comfort of doing that. But the big one from a... IT workflow perspective is scheduling, right? Pre-COVID, mm-hmm. did we really schedule folks? And we've been telling, ph- academia has been telling pharmacy forever, right? You got to do it as appointments. If you're going to, because you cannot have somebody with melting ice cream and whatever else 
right? Yep. Saying, oh, now I'm going to stop everything I'm doing. I'm going to spend 30 minutes with you or five minutes mm-hmm. with you or 10 minutes with you. So one of the things that happened with the FRPP program and COVID was everybody adopted a scheduling system. Well, guess what? Now we have appointment-based model. We have MedSync. And you start to put the pe- and we have cash pay customers and more price elasticity. And so the bad news is, is that Marsha and Jeff and Troy and Doug and others have to figure out how do we you know, solve for the bell curve? The mm-hmm. good news is, is that we've got a lot of signs pointing in the direction of a state of readiness. I would argue that pharmacies are more ready to quit smoking than they've ever been ready to quit smoking. And now it's incumbent upon us, you guys, us, others to say, here's nicotine patches, here's counseling, right? Here's follow up. Here's our appointments to, to get that middle of the bell curve, because the way the world is moving now, if we do not figure out how to get the middle of the bell ter- curve to move, I don't think there's going to be pharmacies that are in network for any Medicare recipients. I don't think there's going to be pharmacies that uh, you can go all down. The, where are we going to be when we get the DIR point of sale? Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the other bit of good news, I'll say, Marcia, for 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 both of us that require independent pharmacies to be sustainable for us to have jobs, frankly, yep. is that one of the things we found coming out of the pandemic, I was very worried that people's balance sheets got much better, which was good from COVID for a variety of reasons, yep. up to and including PPP loans and other things, um, and really successful services. But they were going to come out of those, look at their continually worse dispensing contracts and say, I'm checking out, I'm selling out, I'm closing, right. yeah. so my balance sheet's good now. I'm getting out while I can. Yeah. Right? And what we found was there's certainly those folks out there, but the majority of folks had this switch in their mind. Okay, yeah, services, this isn't a pipe dream. Services actually can. Right. But but is there going to be another COVID in 2023 or another one of these in 2024? Mm-hmm. What's the thing? What's the next act in the play? Right. And I think as an industry, uh, you know, that serves independent pharmacies, we have to figure out what that next act in the play is. And we need to figure out how to do it quickly. I've told all our group that I, you know, there's moving day in golf. That Saturday is moving day. It's called in golf, right? Which is you set up the first two days, you make the cut, you set yourself up for that final day. If you're going to make a run mm-hmm. or you need to be in those final three groups or whatever else. To me, Saturday moving day in golf is 2023 for community pharmacy. It really has to set up for 2024 and beyond if community pharmacies are going to be viable businesses. And it's going to have to be a flip the script before we did services to generate prescription volume. Mm-hmm. Now, our, now our prescription volume generates our services. And, that's, and one was the dog and then the tail and they switched positions. And I really do fundamentally believe they're toast if they don't do that. What are those, sorry, things, what are, what are those things that has to happen this year? We have to figure out how to get into primary care. Are you going to get it? Are you going to get everybody else is? Are you going to get in there this year? Oh yeah. Okay. And, and what, what does that look like? That looks like, um, is that test and treat? uh, What is it? Uh, test and treat. It's direct primary care. It's billable. It's medical at home. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so the good news, bad news, bad news. Cause in my heart of hearts, I, I come from, I, I grew up more with family physicians than I did pharmacy, um, is that really primary care as we know it is dying, or we as we have, have known it. Right. And it's, 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 it's primary care is changing radically. It's driven partly by the health systems. It's driven partly by Wall Street and venture capital. But it is fundamentally changing. And that presents both a, a risk and a threat and an opportunity. And so if you have, you know, if you haven't seen it at your CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Kroger, Rite Aid and what's going on uh, with Signify and with Village MD and Little Clinic and, you know, what's independence play, right? Right. Are we just Mm going to say, oh, you know, all these people on Wall Street and these big companies, they're just stupid. They don't know better. Right. So I think that's the first thing is we got to get into primary care. Got to figure out an alternative to good Rx and Mark Cuban's an interesting actor now that's entered that fray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with what do you do with employers or not? I think that's where a lot of that lands. 
frankly. So have you um, um, talked much with uh, C- Cuban and that bunch? Is is that a <clears throat> are they there's some rumors they're trying to work with independent pharmacy some? Do you know what that looks like? I did receive one call, phone call one time from not Mark himself and had a, a cordial conversation for about 20 minutes where there was violent agreement that the current procurement, payment, and reimbursement model is not sustainable. That was the level of the conversation. I think going back to the original uh, uh, comments I made at in this recording, I think community pharmacies are in a position now where any disruption is probably positive. Um, because right now, good news is you're still at the final table and next te- Texas no hold them if you're independent. So congratulations, you've worked hard to be at the table because you look at a lot of the other health professions, they've already been eaten up. Primary care, there's just, there's really not any independence left, right? So mm-hmm. congratulations, you're still at the table, but you've got the worst cards. Right. So the best thing that you can have happen is a reshuffling of the deck. Right. (laughs) Right? And so I would much rather be in a position of, hey, we may get a better hand. We may get a worse hand, but you need somebody from the outside to disrupt an industry. Mm -hmm. You know, I got calls, Amazon pill pack. Oh, my gosh, they're going to take over independent pharmacy. And I'm sitting here going, well, the much bigger threat is mail order, self-channeling, PBM, controlling patient journey, self-dealing on 340B, all those things. If Amazon wants to come in and promote delivery and and packaging and whatever else, I'm all for it because independents can do that better than others. And so, hey, if Cuban has a good play, great. Our job is to figure out can independents do it as well or better? Or And if there's a way for them to work with Cuban and be sustainable, so be it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, the three of us are in the independent pharmacy sustainability business, period, full stop, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, the biggest thing that they have to compete with there that they're forgetting is is that Amazon's doing the marketing. And, exactly. and, and far in marketing is not pharmacies, pharmacists strong suit, but I mean, with chat GPT, now it's available. I mean, right. the, the biggest thing is if, if somebody, there was a, a Forbes article I read and it was like 98% of people or some, um, are looking for you, you know, are they finding you? And, and they're right. I mean, now during the pandemic, now you can do test COVID testing in your pharmacy. But if I look up COVID testing near me, it's going to show me urgent cares. It's going to show me CVS. It's not going to show me right. the pharmacy near the independent pharmacy near me to so, go to. Totally agree. Pioneers not likely running a Super Bowl ad anytime soon. Right. No. And I can assure you CPSN doesn't have it on its 50 year plan. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. So, but what you guys have done a really good job, I keep going back to, I've got family up in Minnesota and I'm up in Miltona, Minnesota, not far out from Alexandria and Trum Drug. And I hear an ad on the radio about RX Local, right? With, with Pioneer. And it was very well done. It's what independents are good at, right? Which is mm-hmm. local, local, local. People listen to the local radio station here. I don't know if, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes on in my part where I'm at and I live, but in, for a lot of these pharmacies, you know, it is more traditional and, and, and sort of local affordable types of word of mouth, local, right. shop, local shopper, the the ad on Swap Shop, which is the, the entertainment on Saturday mornings is basically like a, 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 a flea market on the radio, you know, and, yep. here, and here you've got a, a, a commercial that says, hey, here's the RX local app and here's what we do, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. your local pharmacy. And so I, co- I totally agree, Marsha, in the sense that when you have these tectonic things that make the Wall Street Journal or make a mm-hmm. Super Bowl ad that sort of promote pharmacy generally and something different in pharmacy that pharmacy can do, that's basically earned media for independent pharmacies because they often can do it better and they're not paying for it and they'll still win on the local advertising. So I do think, you know, you guys making an investment and helping with that local marketing is is helpful and makes a lot of strategic sense. Yeah. The, the, the other side of that is I, I don't think that Amazon considers pill pack this huge success. Matter of fact, no. they've said it's not. And, and so they're trying to move into healthcare to help make that successful. Uh, interruption advertising today's dead. Uh, word of mouth is where it's at. And, and, and so you have to figure out what you're, what you're saying there is leveraging that, you know, sure, you know, um, 
you know, somebody getting on and talking about how we're doing cost plus drugs and stuff and being on this news channel, that news channel. My wife's mom's not watching that, you know, doesn't care. She's still going to her saying, you know, she's not thinking, oh, that's new. Um, unless a friend tells her, hey, I, I got this cheaper here or something like that. So it's, it's really figuring yeah. out how to put on fire that word of mouth in those pharmacies. Yeah, and you both know I come from an economics background as well, and, and, and the reality of it is, and we have a whole sort of work group with this at CPSN now on, you know, what does the future look like with accounting, and, 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 and how are your numbers going to change, not even because of CPSN, but just macro trends, and the reality is that brand name drugs in a pharmacy are likely to go away, because they're all going to become specialty or specialty light, because they're going to price out into specialty. Mm-hmm. And the average cost and the average reimbursement of the prescription is going to start to go down pretty dramatically over time yep. as 95% of the fills are, you know, 15% of the cost. And that's what you call, uh, you know, community pharmacy in the future. And, and what, what then drives your metrics does become services. Because the buy-sell on the drug becomes really a smaller and smaller, smaller component of your numbers. And dispensing and the additional services is what becomes kind of driving your numbers. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a bifurcation here. And you're starting to see it with Walgreens, I think. Right? So CVS, so Walgreens first said, hey, we're not going to measure pharmacists on dispensing throughput. We're going to just, you know, measure them on care delivery metrics. And they're going on a charm offensive with all the schools of pharmacy. Hey, we've got to do this differently. We get it now, et cetera. And their stock performance has been down and they're kind of reevaluating, right? CVS mm -hmm. just went the other direction like a week ago, I'm told, which is, hey, you get a new pharmacist when, I don't know, you get a trillion prescriptions a day right. or whatever it is. I heard some number and I was like, whoa. So these models are going to, you know, Am I going to triple down on the commodity or am I going to reinvent a new model? And even the, the mm -hmm. you know, the big players like Walgreens, I, I think are saying, hey, I don't have a PBM. Uh, I'm in a situation where maybe I have to go the services route. So when it comes to like an Amazon or a Cuban, the economics of mail order become really important to come full circle to the economics of it, because increasingly, interestingly, a higher proportion with every passing day of the cost of mail order is shipping. Right. Ship, mm -hmm. Shipping is becoming the main driver of cost because a lot of these are just refills. There's not a lot of pharmacists looking at this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, and the be, price uh, seemed to have right? doubled coming out of the pandemic on shipping, at right, least for right. like yeah. some of my yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. Gas costs aren't going down, mm -hmm. you know, so – so that's, that's, I think, you know, if I was going to say, hey, what's the thing people aren't paying attention to as a macro trend in pharmacy? Oh, hims, hers, these sorts of things. Fine. We've got mail order. We've got Amazon. We've got Cuban. We've got whatever else. But once you really start to dig into it, there's 300 penny drugs out there. You know, 80% of the fills are less than 30 bucks. If it costs you five, six, seven dollars to send a prescription in the mail or yep. FedEx or whatever else. Mm -hmm. I, that becomes the main driver. So I think that's one of the other reasons why, you know, Cuban and other local reasons, but Cuban and others are starting to say, now, wait a second, when you combine population management services and the main drivers of cost, if we do the end around end up being shipping, I think community pharmacy is going to get a second look. So here's the thing that I don't like about mail order pharmacy is um, and, and a really good comparison of, you know, people who don't ship their product because the temperature adjusts the product is wine. So I'm in, I've got like two different wine memberships and they do not ship me anything from November until end of September. And they go, Hey, because of temperatures, we're holding your order and we're going to ship it to you. Yes. I get that in a mail order pharmacy that that means the patient doesn't get its drugs, but if the patient's getting the drugs and it's supposed to be like a gummy vitamin and they get like a can of just goo are they even still getting their medication right right yeah i mean to me the the most successful sort of counseling 
tactic I felt like I used in 20 years, nights and weekends in pharmacy was when I said, you know, if this were my mom, if this were my sister, if this were someone I, in my family, here's what I would do. Right. That, mm -hmm. That's very effective. And I'm being authentic and genuine when I say, you know, if this were my son, this is what I would do. I will tell you right now, my neighbor was diagnosed with MS three months ago. And so now she's got a whole set of tests and, you know, therapies and titrations and everything mm -hmm. else going on. I said, whatever you do when it comes to pharmacy, I'm here. I can tell you people that really know a lot about this. I can, I can put you in touch with pharmacists, this and that on the therapeutics, but do not get your medicine in the mail. That's yeah. not a plug for independent pharmacy. That's my neighbor that I care about. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, mine was based on experience that Mark tried um, hymns for like just like a daily supplement and it was a gummy and May through August, right. it was a, a right. bottle of goo and, right. and it wasn't supplements. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. so yep. what else, I, what else is CPSN yep. doing? What else is going to go on this year? Anything, anything big? A lot of, a lot of cuts by a thousand knives. We'll make, we'll make, uh, we'll make news here. How's that? Okay. Um, I think that there's going to be large scale disruption over the next 18 months in the way that pharmacies contract for dispensing. Okay. So, and so what, is, what does what that, that mean? What would that what, be? What, what do you think that? We know there's, I, I, I can guarantee there's going to be disruption. What the role of CPSN is, I have no idea right now, but I know that the lines between value-based contracting and services and dispensing and primary care and pharmacy and other plays, you know, what used to be a relatively separated grouping of foods at the buffet line is now getting all mixed together on the same plate, right? Mm -hmm. So I just had this conversation with a luminary this morning. They're like, you know, I'm underwater on the dispensing side, but this is a three to $600 opportunity for each one of these patients on the services side. Do I now take that contract? And what happens if I don't have access to that contract because I'm part of a group that says no, when for my pharmacy, this right. makes sense for me. So, you know, the era that we're getting into is the data that we use, the way we think, and the business model was relatively monolithic because most every patient that walked into a pharmacy generated some kind of a margin. Mm -hmm. Some were smaller, some were larger, but it was as many patients and prescriptions as possible. And now you're seeing, you know, groups run away from Medicare, <laughs> not, right? Not just go, oh, this is a tough call. Run away from Medicare, run away from TRICARE, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so between services and where you're located, are you in suburbia? Are you rural? Who's the employer in your town? What's that contract? But we're start, you know, now it's 50 to 70% of the patients coming into your pharmacy. You might be losing money on, and there's 20 to 30% of your patients that are covering them and producing your margin at the same time. So this idea of a homogenous way of contracting, a homogenous practice model, a homogenous business intelligence that goes with it. I think the care processes will be universal. Please don't change that, Jeff and Marcia and the pioneer care right. processes. When it comes to the business mm -hmm. of what this location versus what that location is doing to sustain itself, I think we're going to enter an era of heterogeneity. So you're saying that the pharmacies are way different. They're going to have to specialize and, and that kind of thing. They're going to they're going to no negotiate their own contracts. Going to be less PSAO. Uh, is that Right. If you talk to Tracy Poole, the kind of the meta spa and the certain types of testing and travel vaccines are what holds that pharmacy up. If you talk in uh, Nashville, if you talk to Joe, what's holding him up is really good relationships with uh, care management and the complex patients in the MedSync model. Um, when you talk to Kyle at Blueberry, he's a cash only pharmacy. When you talk to, you know, it's I'm starting to see it even within the CPSN luminaries clearly where they're going, where that, you know, they're trying to get to the place of sustainability. There's different. It's like we're a guidance counselor now and we're saying, oh, so it's not that we're all going into the same trade now. Mm -hmm. You're going into this trade, you're going into this trade, you're going into this trade, and you're going into this trade. 
And so that's not a comfortable place for a lot of actors in our industry because they're very used to monolithic ways of contracting and thinking. Well, they're not business people. I mean, there's your, there's your bell curve problem, right? Because you have, you have, <laughs> you have right. a lot of those people who just don't know how to do that. And that's what Marshall was talking about earlier, getting out of the par- pharmacy and talking to people and, and figuring out what the needs in the community are. Um, you have to do that for that to be sustainable. Uh, let me, let me, let me sort of tie a bow on this with this pithy statement. I believe the pharmacies are more ready for that than everybody that supports the pharmacies or that they work with. The pharmacies are seeking these things out in a more aggressive way as now they're ready to quit smoking and they're creating the heterogeneity. You probably see this with people say, hey, can I get this? Can I get that? Can I get this? And the list gets longer and more diverse because, Mm -hmm. you know, like one of the items that came up last night on one of our work groups is, oh, shoot, now Ohio and Missouri don't allow you to put a service in as a prescription. I need a way of accounting differently for services or I need a, well, yeah, but my pharmacy, I do pharmacogenomics and I need this thing over here is that the volume and diversity of requests for even a pharmacy management system or technology become almost overwhelming because of this heterogeneity, right? So whether it's technology, PSAOs, wholesalers, Mm -hmm. um, GPOs, this, this, hey, we're going to do things the way we've done them for 30 years, and we're going to do it in a monolithic way, and our pharmacies are going to be good with that, I got news for you. They're not going to be good with it. Yep. Yeah, and, and some of those services are easier to think about in, in your more affluent areas, but in your poorer areas, they're harder to figure out, right. which, is, which is where independence really needed. What does that look like? And, and it didn't matter when every patient walking into my pharmacy produced some sort of margin, and it didn't matter when that activity that was going on in the pharmacy was the same in 65,000 pharmacies, right? Now I have to be picky and choosy about patients and opportunities, and I, and, and, and I am doing different things in my pharmacy than other pharmacies are doing. That's the heterogeneity. And the, the industry hasn't adopted a mass customization model. They haven't adopted a way of, mm-hmm. of right, oh, you need this contracting exception or you know, you are predominantly um, um, a, a, a good one that we're seeing pop up is uh, uh, medically assisted weight loss, mm-hmm. the GLPs, right? Right. That's a whole practice. That can become a whole practice. Yep. But there may be barriers if you have to treat me the same way as 6,000 other pharmacies that you work on behalf of or that you contract with. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I do DSME. Travis Wolf has some really cool diabetes models in Oklahoma, but he's starting to become something different from other pharmacies. So his needs, his business intelligence needs, his technology needs, his acquisition procurement needs, his billing needs, all that mm-hmm. changes. Right. But it's not as if 65,000 pharmacies are all doing it. Right. Right. So, so I said, Early on in the CPSN experience, one of the things I kept telling APHA and NCPA and various groups was one of the challenges for independent pharmacy baseball players playing in the NFL is the way we've operated in pharmacy for so long is if 65,000 pharmacies can't do it, nobody's allowed to do it. Right. And mm-hmm. now we're entering an era where people are like, no, you are can't allowed tell me I to can't. do it. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I've found out that I can do this, that mm-hmm. I can set my own destiny, that I can yep. decide on services, that I can do this. And if you don't provide it to me, I'm going to use JotForm. And if you don't provide it to me, I'm going to go direct to the, get my Shingrix from GSK rather than you. If you don't do, and so that's happening out there, right? Mm-hmm. And I see it just a almost explosion or acceleration of mm. that. And that has consequences for you. And implications, consequences, and implications for CPSN and everybody else involved with interacting with these pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. We have a few minutes left. Um, yeah. Tell us about your ski trip. Cold. Where did you go? Cold. So and he we went to Canada, so, but we're in Canada. I know, but the listeners don't know where he went. You're going, hey, you went on a little ski trip. So let's, where did you go skiing? So we took our family of five. Our oldest is in gymnastics, which conflicts with spring ski season. So Mm -hmm. we always go the week before, uh, you know, third week, basically, in December. And last year, uh, got a little thin on snow. So we're like, 
we're definitely getting snow this year. We're going to Banff. They open in November and they close in May. There's going to be snow. It's going to be safe, um, beautiful up there, et cetera, et cetera. So we fly up to Banff. Well, the morning I was about to fly up, I woke up at three in the morning like, oh, gosh, should we just reroute to Salt Lake City? Because <laughs> I'm seeing some temperatures here that are problematic for a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So we get up there. The first three days were record lows for December, and we had kids uh, skiing in 20 below. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so 20 below skiing is people start putting athletic tape and kinesiology tape on. And the biggest challenge is that you can't keep your goggles. Goggles from freezing up right right mm-hmm. um but they're you know they did as well as they could and by the end of the week it was zero and then we got up to eight which was like we're taking stuff yeah off it's like we're out here in shorts and, yeah <laughs> you know at our at our condo we rented up there the toilet froze on the second day oh, no. <laughs> wow so fortunately we had another one upstairs but uh you know it was it was they're like this never happens so now my kids are like we're never going to canada again i'm like no 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 this is it's actually- good it's good this is a bad year <laughs> it, it's up. warmer up here where we're at than it is where grandparents live believe it or not in northern <laughs> minnesota but i tell you what it's it's beautiful um uh, the tetons were the most beautiful mountains i'd ever experienced uh my wife and i we did a fellowship in utah in 99 and and we never even made it to Yellowstone because we love the Teton so much. You get up to those Canadian Rockies up there, y'all, and and it, everything is Teton. The whole place is Teton. Really? It's all national park. It's not a pre-skiing, so it's not you know a really mm-hmm. super fancy lodge. And but if you really enjoy skiing, you enjoy outdoors. They have three ski areas up there: Sunshine, Lake Louise, and and uh, Norquay. And I'll tell you, the exchange rate is awesome uh-huh. <laughs> right now. The any any snowboarders? Free- so that's the, the other interesting thing up there is you don't see a lot of snowboarders. We're skiers. Okay. Nothing against, nothing against snowboarders except I don't like skiing with snowboarders, <laughs> shaving all the snow down the hill. Um, but you also don't see a lot of ski patrol, right? I mean, it's a very sort of, hey, if you're a skier, this is the place for you. But, you know, it, it's definitely not um, – um, there's definitely American skiing and then there's – probably European and Canadian skiing, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you're going to assume the risk and you're going to be a good skier. Now, the, the cool thing about that is, and the cold had something to do with it, boy, you could go a long ways and it's wide open and and um, and um, uh, the, the snow's good because it's so far north and everything else. So anyways, a little bit of that. And, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll save for the next podcast, having to drive 22 hours back to Minnesota because of canceled flights. That was oh, a whole no. other, whole other story. Yeah, I'm with you. Jeff, I, I'm a ski, my family's all skiers, except for my son decided to try snowboarding. Yeah. And the, I like to just run down the hill and okay. this like running a little bit, then having to stop and wait for him to finish carving his way down to me. And it's right. like, okay, or the, trying to stay on his tail so I can keep an eye on him in front of me. I'm like, please go back to skiing. Please go back to skiing. Right. Yeah, I, I think what I what I basically told my kids was, hey, look, you can do whatever you want. I just want to be able to be out here with you when you grow up. Like mm-hmm. I've really made Have a concerted fun. effort yeah. to get the, you know, every year we just, you know, one week of skiing or three days of skiing, just so you learn it as you grow older, just as something you can enjoy in life, yeah. whether you ski or snowboard. But I'll tell you, if you want to spend your time on your butt, a lot. Oh, yeah. You can go, you can go, go snow- snowboarding. snowboarding. Yeah. Or you can watch me and never end up on the ground the entire week. Yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe he'll speed up a little bit because I did used to ski with a snowboarder that, you know, he would have to wait on me because I was still new and he grew up on a snowboard. Yeah, well, but... he wasn't waiting on me. So <laughs> well, I was one still word new. Because I can't physically go that fast yeah, on a snowboard. Right. Well, one word to the wise, if you do go skiing up there, particularly at those three resorts, I can't speak to Whistler and maybe that's more like American skiing, but one of the reasons there may be less snowboarders up there is they haven't done it. You know, they, 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 those resorts are more like they've been for decades and there's not all this design stuff that goes into where you bring the slopes down and everything else. You will spend a lot of time pulling. Yeah. Oh and if yeah. You're, if that's you not a border. A snowboarder, boy, that's a nightmare. That's yeah. A lot yeah. Cause you gotta unbuckle and push yourself through. Yeah. Whistler's in that epic, uh, epic group. hat. There's the epic, yeah, these are the same people own Vale and that kind of stuff. So okay. it may be it may be more American, I guess was the question on the map. Gotcha. Yeah, these are the, the big three are icon, they're all icon pass, but frankly it's a lot cheaper if you just go through. I talked to a guy, he's like, Oh, I've had a place in Canmore for thirty eight years now or whatever, and he's like, 
I'm Canadian. I live in Canmore. For Norquay, for the entire year, pass for him was $111 Canadian. Oh, wow. Right? So it's a lot cheaper. And then the exchange rate's crazy. So a week of lessons, two hours lunch, two hours, week of lessons at Lake Louise, $449 Canadian. Wow. So 380 bucks to put him in ski school. So plug oh, for wow. Canada, our friends to the north. It's not always that cold. I that hope might have back. to be our ski trip next year. Well, there's a reason. You you heard there was a little I bit know. of you're getting what you pay for. Yes. You know, it's yeah, not right. well groomed. It's you do a lot of polling. You yeah. know, you're probably there's, there's definitely you're, not twenty five dollar chili. It's probably a pole lift. You know, you're probably right. uh, yeah, being yeah. holding under a rope. Oh, going I up wonder the mountain. if that was that video I showed you. Yeah, I don't know where that. You know that several of those people went to the hospital. Uh, I imagine. It was a video of a, a snowboarder. Who was holding the pole. One of those pole lifts. And he got off of it and just took out everybody. You could tell he was jacking with like his phone or something. And he slipped and just. It was one of those you put between your legs, you know, just crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you can get your kids off of the main green runs, like the safest thing for you to do is teach your kid at five-year-old to get to the green blues. Because Mm -hmm. the biggest dangers in skiing oftentimes are A, not wearing a helmet like an idiot. Or B, hanging out, you know, where a lot of that goes on, right? Yeah. You know, and, and get tripped up on a ski lift or, you know, whatever else. Uh, one, one other, you know, interesting thing that happened for your, for your listeners, just because this they probably have seen. Like, so Lake Louise, right? So Sh- Fairmont, Chateau, Lake Louise. Mm-hmm. It really is. You should go sometime in your life. You, it's like Bob Ross. You could not have constructed or composed better scenery if you could just paint it like it's that picture oh, wow. wow but this is like a twelve hundred dollar a night hotel right so we weren't there right twelve hundred dollars a night this is before christmas week mm-hmm. they didn't have they didn't have heat for three days <laughs> oh wow oh no right and it was 43 below not windshield 43 below and and it was you, you can imagine i mean this is one of the most well-known hotels in the Mm -hmm. world and they're shipping people to the motel six 30 miles away (laughs) so you can imagine Uh, and it's a very uh. it's a very international crowd up there so i imagine that was interesting for them good Mm -mm. well troy it was fun i think uh i got a call coming up with you i'm excited for it and uh yeah dig deeper into what we can do uh, to get together yeah (laughs) yeah look always always good Appreciate all of your work and and um, looking forward to talking again and you know uh, maybe we can talk in the middle or, or towards the end of conference realignment and see what happens. Yep, sounds great. All right, thank you, Troy. Okay. All right, thanks, Marcia. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Bye. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five star rating on Apple Podcast to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.